Father, as we look at the uh, your creation, we see so much beauty. As we've been singing, we, we know we can look and, and see amazing animals, beautiful forests. We think of the galaxies and, and the stars and the things we can see using telescopes and technology that maybe people in the past couldn't see, but you've always been seeing because you put it there. We think of the colors and the creativity of all of it. And we know that because it's come from you, you are more beautiful than all of it. We know that your glory is astonishing. It's overwhelming. And one day we will experience it on a level we can't even imagine now. And so we thank you for these songs that remind us of how wonderful you are, how beautiful you are, how glorious you are. And so we also now thank you for your word as you inspired people to write. And thank you for your son who taught us truth that informs how we live, that shapes our hearts so that they're turned towards you and not turned towards uh, other things that that don't have the beauty and value that you do. So we thank you now that your word is unchanging and that teaching spoken thousands of years ago can yet be incredibly relevant for us today. So help us understand them and help us practice them. And may they inform our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, last week, uh, you got a little preview of what we're doing this week when I did the kids' sermon on not making promises and swearing, you know, and taking oaths. And, of course, uh, my kids all week now have been catching mom and dad every time we say we promise something. They'll say, oh, don't do that. Don't do that. And you told us not to make promises. Just keep your word. And uh, so that's been the way the week has gone. I don't know about your week, parents, how yours has gone, but anybody else have an experience like that with your kids? Oh, just my kids, huh? Oh, Scott, I see you. Okay, good. I'm glad someone else got called out. Time to stop making promises, Scott. <clears throat> so we're in the Sermon on the Mount, and we call this series The Heart of Discipleship because it's all about what our hearts are supposed to be doing and how that informs how we live. And uh, so I'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. Matthew 5:33. All right, Jesus says. Again, you've heard it said to people, the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you've made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by the earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no, and anything beyond this comes from the evil one. All right, so we're talking about taking oaths and promising and telling people things that we're going to do and making it more serious by adding an oath to it. 
So number one, let's explain what an oath is. Number one, uh, an oath is just, an oath involves invoking God's name or substitutes for God's name to guarantee the truth of one's statements. So, so you're using God's name or a substitute for God's name to guarantee that what you're saying is true. And so you might, if you're in court, you swear in a Bible. Uh, we might say, I, I swear to God on something. You might say, I promise. But, but when we're talking about their kind of oaths, that you would use God's name to try to say, my word is my bond, and, and I'm actually pulling in God into it as a witness to what I've said. Now, that was very, very important to people in ancient times. To, to use God's name in this way. And actually, in the Old Testament, in, in Torah, there, there are different passages that, that talk about this. Oh, here's a couple. Just listen to these. Leviticus 19.12 uh, says, Do not swear falsely by my name, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Numbers 30, verse 2. When a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word but must do everything he said. Or Deuteronomy 23.23, Whatever your lips utter, you must be sure to do, because you made your vow freely to the Lord your God with your own mouth. Now, that's Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Three different places, there's more, where it says, if you make an oath, if you take God's name in that way, you'd better do what you said. Now, is there anything wrong with those passages? No. It's the Word of God. And so in that sense, if you take an oath and then you invoke God's name, you'd better do what you said you were going to do. And yet Jesus' teaching seems to go against that and says, don't take an oath at all. Whereas the Old Testament presumes you are going to take an oath, Jesus says, don't go there. So what, what's wrong here? What's happening? What's happening is people are trying to get around uh, the, the oath itself. They want to take an oath, but they don't want to be held to it. They want a loophole. Uh, you think about us today and, and our court systems, we might, you might look at a contract and say, can I find a loophole here to get out of what I said I would do? Or uh, to take it down to the kids' level. You ever seen the, the Charlie Brown episode? I think it's the Thanksgiving one where he's going to kick the football, right? Finally he's going to kick the football and Lucy's holding it there, you know? And and she she says uh, she gives him a contract and signs it and it says she'll hold the football and he says okay since she gave me the contract here we go you know and he tries to kick it and of course she pulls it away and says no the the contract wasn't notarized and so for any kid like what's notarized you know well I never knew what that meant as a kid but I know now I know it's when you have to take the document to a notary and they put their seal on it and that makes it official. Boy, the notarizing we did for our adoption, it was like that thick, and it was like page after page after page of notarization. I'm sick of notarizing things, right? But, but that makes it official. Um, and so we look for loopholes. We look for ways to get out of what we said. Kids, it's like, I've got my fingers crossed. Got my fingers crossed. And they were doing that in Jesus' day. This is not a new problem. It's an old problem. So what were they doing? Well, uh, let me read this for you. So uh, this is Matthew 23, 16. Uh, it says, Woe to you, blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. 
But if anyone swears by the gold in the temple, he is bound by his oaths. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on the altar, he's bound by the oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. He who swears by the temple swears by it and the one who dwells in it. He who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. So this is Jesus' point. This is what's happening. People are taking oaths and they're saying, I swear by the altar, the altar of God. Well, that sounds serious. It's the altar. But then the person didn't do what they swore they would do. And then the other person's like, well, you swore by the altar of God. No, wait a minute. I'm going to go talk to a Pharisee. I'm going to go talk to a rabbi, and they'll explain this thing, and they'll say, okay, Pharisee or rabbi, tell me, do I have to keep my oath if I made it according to the altar? And the rabbi would say, no, 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 no. If you swore by the gift on the altar, that's the holy thing. The altar, not so much. If you swore by the temple, don't worry about it. But if you swear by the gold, the sacred gold in the temple, then you need to do it. You see, see what they're doing? See what they're doing? They're trying to get these loopholes. And so the Pharisees and rabbis became kind of like the experts on, do you have to keep your oath or not? And Jesus said, that should not be. It should not be. So back to our passage. It says in verse 34, Don't swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by the earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. He's like, don't name any of that stuff. Don't name heaven. Don't name Jerusalem. Don't name anything. Just don't do it. Why? Why shouldn't Jesus' disciples, meaning us, take an oath? Well, A, God is present during every oath. Now, that's the whole point. If you swear by Jerusalem, well, that's God's city, city of the great king. If you swear by heaven, that's his throne. If you swear by something on earth, that's his footstool. He's everywhere. You can't get away from him. So whenever you take an oath, he's there with you. And he takes it seriously. Listen to Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 5, verse 5. For it's better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. Don't let your mouth lead you into sin. And don't protest the temple messenger. My vow is a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? I'll read that again. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? So apparently God is listening every time we take a vow, every time we take an oath, and he will act he will bring discipline. He will bring consequences into our life if we don't do what we say we'll do. So it is serious. And he is everywhere. So don't take the oath. The other reason we don't take an oath, part B is, God has control of your life, not you. So part of taking an oath would be, I am definitely going to do what I say I'm going to do. I will sell this property for whatever. I will, I will do this. And, and, and so when you take an oath, when you take a vow, you have to remember, you can't really control life. I've learned this as a parent. And since Scott raised his hand in the back, I, I bet he's been down this road too. So you say to your kids, I promise, I promise, we will take you swimming at the Y tonight. 
and then something comes up. Okay, so something, something important comes up and we can't go. And suddenly it's like, you promised, Dad. You promised. It'd be better not to promise because I can't control what's going to happen. Nobody has control of their life like that. I mean, James says that too, right? I mean, James says, listen, you who say today or tomorrow will go to this city, that city, spend a year, carry on business, make money. You don't know what will happen tomorrow. What, what is your life? You're a mist that appears for a while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Uh, you can't control your life. Jesus says, you can't make your hairs white, gray, black. You don't have control over the hairs on your head, much less the events of your life. And I, and I know all you ladies say, I just go to the salon. Uh, that, that verse doesn't apply to me at all. You know, we, we got control of this. <laughs> but you wouldn't have to go to the salon if you had control over your hair. Let's put it that way. You wouldn't have to go. God has control of these things. And when we take an oath, often we take an oath to act like we can do what we say we're going to do, but you don't know if you can. God's in control. The other reason you shouldn't take an oath is uh, the last part of verse, um, where are we at, 37. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Or some translations say anything beyond this comes from evil. Sin encourages you to bolster your claims. I mean, think about it. Why do you make promises to your kids? Why do you say, I swear, I swear? If you do that, what drives you to do that? And Jesus says it's sin. Sin drives you to say, I promise, I promise. Because apparently my word is not good enough if I just say something. If I just say we're going to do this, that's not good enough. I need to promise it. Are you a storyteller that often blows things out of proportion <laughs> to make yourself look good? And do you find yourself saying, I swear, I swear, that's the way it happened. That's a problem. That's an indication that you need to bolster your claims and that's coming from sin. Because it means on a normal occasion, people shouldn't take you seriously. So don't do it. Just tell the truth. And it's all good. So knowing that sin encourages us to do this, we should stay away from taking oaths. Now, um, as a kid, I remember this passage. I remember thinking, it kind, of, it kind of freaked me out. Like, it means I should never promise anything. I should never swear anything. And it means if I ever end up in court, Lord, help me, because I'm going to take an oath on a Bible. Who cares if the Bible's there, you know, but I shouldn't take an oath because Jesus says don't do it. I don't think this is meant to be the, the end all for, for taking oaths. And in fact, some religious groups throughout history have refused to take oaths because of this passage. We won't go there if Jesus says don't do it. I don't think that's the way Jesus meant us to take this teaching. I think what he was trying to do is deal with the abuses of the day and he was trying to protect us from taking uh, inconsiderate oaths, just doing it. There are some times when you should take an oath. So let's see if we can prove this here. Part A, God took an oath for the purpose of encouraging us regarding his promises. So Genesis 22, uh, 16. You can look at that or listen to me. Genesis 22, 16. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, 
I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you've done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I'll surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all the nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. So God swears by himself he's going to bless Abraham. And through Abraham, he blesses us too because we know Jesus came through Abraham and Jesus blesses us. So we're part of this blessing. And God says, I swear by myself. I swear by myself. Well, there's nothing higher than God. You can't swear by anything bigger. And so if you say, well, why does he do that? Couldn't God just simply say, I'm going to bless you, and wouldn't that be enough? Of course it would be enough. Because God can't tell a lie. Why does God swear by himself? That was my question as I'm studying this. You know, Why does God do that? If he doesn't want us to do it, why does he do it? Why does he have to bolster his word. Well, look at Hebrews, and there's an answer there. Hebrews 6. Kids, this is why God takes an oath. This is why it's okay for him to swear by himself. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17 and 18. When I read this, I was like, oh, this makes perfect sense. Uh, let's start in 16, or actually 13. We read, we read God's promise to Abraham. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. We just read that in Genesis. Verse 16, people swear by someone greater than themselves, and an oath confirms what is said, and and it puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this. Here's why. Pay attention. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He, become, became, uh, he has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And then he goes on to explain Melchizedek, which I won't get into this morning. All, this, all that to say this, he swore by himself to encourage you. God says his mercies are new every morning. Are they really? They are. God says he'll never leave us or forsake us. Will he forsake us? No, he won't. Jesus says, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Is he with us always? Yes, he is. Will he bless us with salvation through Jesus Christ? Yes, he will. Do you doubt it some days? Some days our sin makes us doubt it. Some days the consequences of sin in the world make us say, where are you, God? But he promised us. He promised us by himself. He swore an oath. And that should encourage you. Because not only can God not lie, but he took an oath just to help you understand how serious it is to him. He's going to bless you. He's determined to bless you with salvation. He promised it to Abraham, and it leads all the way to today and into the future. He will bless you with all the blessings of his salvation. He took an oath by the highest thing himself so every promise god has made 
is yours. It's yours. And he'll never take it away. I hope that's encouraging to you. Because even though God doesn't need to take an oath, he does. Because sometimes for us, we doubt. And in this life, the hard things that happen to us make us question. We don't need to. He's faithful. Okay, so God takes an oath. So certainly not all oaths can come from evil, clearly, because God takes them. B, we'll look at Matthew 26, 63. Uh, Kids, this is another one for you. I don't know if you're like me, but when I was a kid, I always wondered, you know, they always, I remember the pastor always saying that Jesus was silent during his trial. He was like a sheep being led to slaughter. And that was predicted about him in Isaiah that he would be silent. But then you've got these times when Jesus talks, you know, and it's like, why does the Bible tell us that Jesus is silent during his trial? Then over here he's talking. I don't understand that. Well, there's a perfect explanation for it. I want to show it to you. Uh, Matthew 26, 63. I feel like this is the Sunday where I work through all of my childhood issues, you know? It's all coming around this morning, okay? Why do you talk, Jesus? Okay, um, how about we start here? Uh, Verse 59. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. But they couldn't find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward and they declared, This fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. There it is. He's silent, just like it's predicted of him. Then the high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said so, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look at what... What you've heard is blasphemy. What do you think he's worthy of death? They answered. Why did Jesus speak when it was prophesied that he would not speak when he'd been silent up to that point? And clearly the answer is this. Verse 63, I charge you under oath by the living God. It means Jesus submitted to the oath of the high priest. He was charged on trial, under oath, to speak. And he submitted himself to the governing authorities, under oath, and he spoke. So taking an oath, or submitting to an oath, is not sin, not evil. Jesus did it. And even though he wasn't intending to speak, the high priest called him under oath to speak charged him okay so hopefully we've proven by at least these two passages i'm sure there are more that it's not evil to take an oath in fact you'll take an oath on your wedding day you'll make vows vows with god as your witness that you will that you are supposed to keep 
And when you go to court and they put your hand on the Bible and you take an oath, I see no issue with that. This is a legal proceeding. And you should be under oath at a legal proceeding. It's okay. And yes, I do know that if sin didn't exist, we wouldn't have to take that oath, right? Uh, You wouldn't have to have a covenant ceremony. It would be like Adam and Eve, right? This is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She'll be called woman, you know, and, and, and they were together. They were naked and not ashamed, and that was it. It was perfection then. But you better believe we need to take an oath at certain times when it's called for today. And I believe God encourages it in those circumstances. So what does Jesus mean? What does Jesus mean? And I think it's simple. The truth is simple. Jesus' disciples should speak the truth on all occasions. Simple. It means when you boil it down, telling the truth is a simple thing. When you've got to take an oath to confirm something, all that says is that there's sin existing in the world. So we've got to bolster what we say. The truth is simple. When we try to complicate it, it often comes from sin. Don't complicate the truth. Just speak it. Just tell it. Let me ask you a few questions. Do you look for loopholes in your contracts? Do you say you'll do something and then forget to do it? By the way, if I've done that, would you remind me of what I said I would do? And I mean that. Would you remind me? Do you ever technically tell the truth while neglecting important details? Do you exaggerate stories to make yourself seem better? Do you regularly have to promise or swear to verify what you've said? Jesus says, let your yes be yes and no be no. That's simple. I think we all understand what that means. If you say yes to something, it needs to be yes. If, it means, if you say no, it means no. It's simple. The truth is simple. In this world sometimes, it can get complicated. And I know a lot of times when we talk about honesty, sometimes our minds go to the classic scenario of, is it ever okay to lie? Is it ever okay to bear false witness? I'll never forget uh, going to someone's house uh, for a dinner and the, the, the husband, the father of a large family, he was, he was a tall, imposing man. And before he came to Christ, uh, rough, rough past, probably done a lot of illegal things. He's the kind of guy where if he, if he would have told me that he had killed someone before he came to Christ, I would, I would totally believe him. And he was that kind of guy, just extreme in his passion for Christ, and you realize he came from hard stuff. And one day he, he uh, had us over for dinner and he asked me if it was ever okay to tell a lie under any circumstances. That's kind of the classic scenario posed to, to Christians and other people that have a form of morality. And I said, well, of course, it's never okay to lie. It's always sin. It's always sin. You know, that's what I told him. And he said, well, what if, what if, uh, what if it's like the, the, the Holocaust and I've got Jews hidden in my house and 
and, and the Nazis come to the door and knock, and, and do you have Jews hiding in your house? It's okay to lie then. That, that, that's moral. That's correct. That's good. And, and, and in my youthfulness, I just wanted to say, you know, well, no, a, a lie is a lie. It's always a lie. You've, if you've borne false witness, it's always a lie. Oh, man. He got his finger out and uh, raised his voice at me and told me how wrong I was. I was like, I just want to go home. <laughs> I'm done talking. I'm done talking. I know you probably killed people in a former life, you know? I just want to go home. <laughs> I think you're also implying to me as you're talking to me that you would kill the person that came to your door looking for those Jewish people. <laughs> he was an imposing man. Uh uh, all that to say, I don't have a simple answer for that. I know a lie is a lie, the truth is the truth, and there's a simplicity there. I know that sin complicates our life. It complicates things. It makes things more complex. I know the story of the women in Moses' day, who the, the Jewish mid, or the Hebrew midwives who were supposed to kill the babies, remember? The Pharaoh ordered and they didn't do it. They disobeyed and they said they did, but they didn't. Apparently they could deceive and lie and it says God blessed them. And so I look at that passage and it seems like, yeah, I've read Jewish rabbis that have said, obviously saving a life is of higher morality than lying or telling the truth. It's more moral to save a life. I appreciate arguments like that. I don't have a simple answer to that. The truth can get complex because there's sin in the world. Don't believe me? Well, let me ask you this one. When you leave for a weekend and you leave the lights on in your home, why do you do that? Well, you want people to think that you're home. Oh, I see. You want to deceive people. You're a group of deceivers, the whole lot of you. (laughs) Why do you do that? Because sin exists, it's difficult to be a person of truth. And that's why I'm going to close with this idea. Our job is simple. Do the Great Commission. Tell people about Jesus. Tell them how good he's been to us. It's simple. If you are not known as a man or a woman of your word, why in the world should people believe you when you talk about Jesus? You see? It goes deeper than just your reputation. It goes to, are you a reliable witness for Christ? Because if you're, if you're known to make up those great stories and you caught the fish this big, <laughs> why should they believe you when you say a person rose from the dead? It's all connected. So Jesus says, I want my disciples to not take an oath. And I want my disciples to say yes and have it mean yes. And to say no and have it mean no. And keep it simple. Because at the end of the day, my disciples are going to have to say some things about me. And I want the world to believe them. I want the world to believe their testimony. Yes, Jesus rose from the dead. And our yes means Yes. Worship team, would you come up at this time? This is, again, one of those messages where uh, 
lying lips, God hates them, right? I think that's a, that's, I forget where that's at, lying lips. If this is your morning where you're like, boy, I've taken oaths, I've broken them, I've said things and I've lied, God offers you forgiveness. Yes, Jesus died on the cross for your sins, your lies, your mistakes. And yes, he rose again from the dead. It's as simple as talking to him about it and saying, I believe you, I trust you, forgive me. And then he washes you clean. We invite you to do that this morning if that's what he's moving in your heart to do. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for making the truth simple for your disciples. Thank you that you showed us that we had to have hearts that are totally and completely honest with people around us. Unfortunately, God, none of us are without sin in this. None of us are without lying. So would you forgive us of that? And if we've lied to somebody else for the glory of God, for the sake of Christ, I pray we could humble ourselves and go back to those people and say we're sorry and ask for forgiveness because we know our testimony depends on it. Are we false witnesses or not? May we be reliable witnesses to the fact that you have risen from the dead, Jesus, and that you've changed our lives. And may our testimony be credible to the people we work with, the people we go to school with, the people we run into in the neighborhood. May we be credible witnesses. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.